Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. And our intention, you know, like if everything went really, really well with the team, we would have love on full display. You know, fandom, showtime, full stadium, proud region, so love on full display. We were really committed as a group to having more stars within reach because it's a very common theme, but if you can see it, you can be it. And, you know, these cliches are cliches for a reason. In this Dream Chasers episode, Kiwi Hoops expert Lyndon Moore is back, featuring special guest Rachel Talalay, the co-owner of the Aotearoa Wellington team, Tokamanawa Queens. It's a wide-ranging conversation encompassing culture, fans, representation, equity in women's hoops and community. It was a real privilege to speak with Rachel. Her prominent role at the Queens and within the business landscape of New Zealand gives us a front row seat to the incredible opportunity for Kiwi women's hoops. In only their second season, the Queens were recognised as Best Club of the Year and having Best Game Presentation and Best Social Media. We gain an insight into the culture of the Tokamanawa Queens and their spirit of reciprocity that sits at the centre of this community. We also hear about their vision for developing younger players, including the foundation inspired by her daughter Lily's US college journey. That, like all things Tokamanawa, revolve around Fanau, family. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. We are going across the pond to New Zealand today. We're being joined by our New Zealand expert, Lyndon Moore, and our guest today is Rachel Talalay. Rachel, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. And we're really looking forward to learning a lot more about Kiwi Hoops, the upcoming Tauihi League season, and of course, the Tokamanawa Queens. Kia ora. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. Before we kind of get into the rest of it, just as a, for the audience, how did you get involved in basketball? Well, I am not, we shameful secret, I'm not a baller by um, trade. I've got the height, of, I think we're about six foot one, smaller than my daughter now. But anyway, I've got the height, but I applied it as most people did in my generation to netball. So um, came through the ranks as a netballer and then found myself in a family who were up to their eyeballs in basketball. So Lily, my daughter, where our daughter played, Walt, my husband, uh, runs Wellington Basketball and was a baller himself. So uh, getting involved with basketball was almost not even a question as to whether I could or should or ultimately would, as has happened with the Tokumano Queens. Okay. And we will get into talking about Lily later on, but I'm going to hand it over to you, Lyndon, because I know you've got a whole bunch of questions and items that you want to touch on. Yeah. So first of all, great to be back on the pod. And Rachel, always happy to see you. Uh, and yeah, love your work. So first thing I want to touch on is, as Paul kind of mentioned, you are a woman of many talents. Uh, you know, you're involved in the business world. You're a strong Maori advocate. Um, you're also involved in the basketball world. So now we're going to shift all that. The Queens exemplify a lot of those traits. So what I'm really curious about and would love to know more of is when thinking back a couple of years ago, when 
the bid with Tommy T. Yeller thinking about the Queens. Can you take us behind the scenes of, you know, how all that came together and, you know, what were some of the key things that you were trying to make sure were in place when bringing this dream to life? Yeah, sure. Thank you. And it's very nice to see you too, Lyndon. And I'll, I'll start by saying thanks for your support of girls, women and basketball more generally in Aotearoa. It certainly never goes unnoticed by those of us who are in the game. Uh, how did it start? My gosh. So it didn't start with me. It started, I think, as a conversation between Walt and Jordan Mills. They started, you know, chatting about uh, the Saints, and, and you'll have to ask them the, the real story, but as I understand it, they started chatting about, you know, how great it would be to have uh, what might be tantamount to a female Saints team. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could start building that game on the female side? And that was when the, the conversation was starting in and around creating a women's league. From there, the conversation extended out to, uh, I believe, Megan Compain. She she became a part of the conversation. And then it really took flight to a group of people who uh, were deeply invested in basketball as a code, in growing the game, and quite specifically growing the women's game. So a group of like-minded individuals came together to form our ownership team. And collectively, we decided that we would bid for the lower North Island franchise rights or this new league that was being created. All new, didn't have all the details, but that's how you know some of these best laid plans are put into place where you're building the tracks while the train's on them. But it was a, you know, a great start. I think the other thing, as well as being committed to uh, the game, there was a real commitment to equity for women. And one of the things that grabbed our attention straight out of the gates was this idea of having pay parity for women who were to play in the semi-pro women's league. So as that was the starting point, you know, it was a really, really encouraging point from which we might platform. Oh, amazing. And, you know, just thinking about, as Wellington such a strong basketball region, um, for those of us in New Zealand, I think we're all pretty much aware of that. But for those who maybe aren't from here or are not as familiar, you know, Rachel mentioned the Wellington Saints of the men's New Zealand NBL. There's a strong legacy there. Um, and so it's great to hear that there are advocates on the Wellington side that want to bring a women's team to life. Because there's been so many ballers that have come out of there and to see what you all have done. And we're going to get to that in a second. But another question I've had or just really am curious about is the naming of the team and the homage has, that it has to the culture. Would you mind just describing a little bit more about that and educating us? Because that's really amazing. Yeah, and we're really proud of the the heritage or the whakapapa of our name, so I definitely will. Before I do that, I will say, you know, we always and often look to the men's teams in Wellington as, to, you know, the, I guess the marquee names and, and games and players, but we just have a litany of incredible women who have come from Wellington region as well. And at one of our games in the first year, we brought in as many of the past representative players from Wellington as we could get out, it's actually from our region that we could get our hands on. And it was just amazing because the only reason we could step onto that court is because they had done it before us. And so it was a really great privilege for us to be able to acknowledge the games they'd played, the places they'd taken it, the conditions under which they played them before we could even think about uh, this league that we play in now. But so grateful for that. So our name um, came about, it wasn't something that came about quickly. And my day job is as a, a, my partner and I have got a business and brand strategy company called Oval. And Oval means to awaken or enlighten in Te Reo Māori. So it's all about bringing stories out of people, you know, really understanding what makes people tick and what makes them perform well and what makes them love what they do when they get up every day. So we applied um, Oval to, to the Queens, what we now know as the Queens. 
we bought together because most of our work is co-design work in wānanga or workshops. And we bought together the owners of the team. We bought together some of the potential players of the team. And we bought together a really interesting group of people who were past or present high-performing sports people and or entertainers. So we had Tamati Allison, who's now part of the All Blacks network and has been um, an assistant coach with the Crusaders, coach of the Lions. We bought together Jenny May Clarkson, you know, silver fern player New Zealand touch player we had Tanya Tupu who you guys know of course uh we had Dallas Tamida off Fat Freddy's and um King Kapisi so yep for sure our MC but you know kind of a pretty well known guy on the New Zealand hip-hop front so we brought together all of these amazing people to say what might this look like to you you're you know most of you are from Wellington you love it what does this mean to you what do you wish that you knew when you were getting started uh, in this journey and from that we took that conversation coupled it with the owners coupled it with the players and came out of it with a really strong and very clear idea about what our purpose was in creating this team and we had ideas around there was really three in fact one was uh, we were doing it for the love of the game we were doing it for the change and we were doing it for the culture and the culture being you know showcasing and celebrating new school ball what did that look like for our women as they stepped out? So that was very, very clear that that's why we were doing what we were doing. And our intention, you know, like if it, everything went really, really well with the team, we would have love on full display, you know, fandom, showtime, full stadium, proud region. So love on full display. We were really committed as a group to having more stars within reach because it's a very common theme but if you can see it you can be it and it, you know these cliches are cliches for a reason but we wanted more stars within reach for our young women to be able to see and touch and feel and know and then we wanted to showcase fundamentally you know welly styles and we've got a particular way of being down here there's a there's a coolness a bit of bit of humility bit of swagger but you know we don't want to show it all the time but we just want to do it all the time so it was a really powerful process to go through. And at this time, we still didn't have a name. So we were like, what does that mean? You know, like, where does that take us? And where it took us to was that idea that we needed an identity that was representative of our region and of our people. And fundamentally, the responsibility that we had when we started this, because we all knew that we were going to be building this for something that was bigger than us. So we landed after conversations that included also my uncle, Tewari Kaikik, who is a kaumatua, was a kaumatua from um, our iwi, from Ngātātua as well, incredibly well-loved and regarded. And I went to him and described us. I gave him this big kind of download and he came back with Tokomanua. And I'll come to the Queens laterally, but, you know, Tokomanawa is taken from Po Tokomanawa, which is that central carved post in the meeting house of a marae. So it's very strong, it holds up the house. And so we took the Tokumanawa component because it's sort of a metaphorical representation of that center ridge pole in a meeting house. We're the central region of the country. And so we were like, cool, this is where we stand. Toko can be taken as a ridge pole, Manawa can be taken as a meaning for um, heart. And so, you know, we're really standing with heart and holding up the, the country essentially in terms of our strength for this region. So that's where we took Tokomanawa from, which we were like, got it, love it, that's us. And then Queens, I never really think Queens takes a whole lot of explanation because after all of those combos, we were like, it's Queens. Because for us, 
you know, it speaks to wahine tōa, it speaks to strong women. It's about excellence. It's about feminism. It's about chasing that win and elevating us to be the best that we can be. So it's also that idea that we, you know, it's about keeping your head high. There's all these great, you know, metaphors of being a queen and wearing a crown and having your head held high. So that's the queen. Every Everyone knows him. Everyone loves a queen and, you know, has an inner queen. So that's, that's where we landed. That's phenomenal. And thank you for sharing that because it's so inspiring. And I think anyone who has stepped through the doors or has watched the team in some capacity can see that that radiates through the team and the culture from top down. And I know it's coming from somebody who's been able to do two games. I've been one TSB and one Porulua. It's been great to just see like the fan and the love just, it kind of just spreads wherever you go. And it doesn't matter what's going on. Everyone's holding their head high. Even if the match may not go their way, you know what? The sportsmanship is there. The love for the game is still there. And that just seems super solidified. And so that's really, you know, it's great to hear. And so thank you for sharing that. I wanted to ask you something earlier on, you mentioned, well, you use the word equity when a lot of people tend to use the word equality. Now I'm curious because it's, it was obviously the word was specifically chosen. I'd like to get your idea on, on what equity means to you. Sure. It's a, it's a great question because it, it is a word that I choose quite deliberately I think equality is when you create a framework for access and it's when you create, um, you know, almost a theory of equal treatment. Now, people's ability to actually access that opportunity can be, may not be equal. It it could be systemic. There are systemic reasons why underrepresented people don't have the voice that they might. All frameworks created equally, the whole, you know, there's lots of conversation about it at the moment, one person, one voice, one person, one vote, which is about equality. Now, equity is, is another level of access, which actually very purposefully creates an even opportunity for those people to access. In this case, it was fair pay. Mm. So, you know, I think it's a much more demonstrable, it's a much more deliberate way of creating the equality that you're searching for through equity, if that essentially makes sense. I know that's probably a little bit Dr. Zussi, but no. it's more deliberate than than simply creating the framework for opportunity. Yeah, no, I actually am glad you kind of gave us that outline from your perspective. The reason being, I find that quite often people confuse equity and equality. And it's important because Look, within the let's just take keep it within the basketball world. There is equality. Women can play, men can play. The equity is when women have the ability to play at the same level as the men and have the ability to access those opportunities, which, you know, let's be honest, has been difficult. I mean, I know that particularly in New Zealand, there was because we spoke a few seasons ago with Justin Nelson. Uh prior to the Tauihi League, and we learnt an awful lot about what was happening in basketball in New Zealand, women's basketball in New Zealand, prior to the Tauihi League, and it seemed like it was there, but it was more like an afterthought. Would, would that be a fair, a fair comment? And the Tauihi League has really elevated the sport so that you do have a more equitable platform? I think so. I think it, it forces a behaviour that redistributes the opportunity correctly 
And so, and that is true of women's sport and for argument's sake, women in business. It's just, you know, there is a life phenomenon where you, you know, you're a little on the back foot in um, a number of circumstances. And, and in sport, you'll see it, you know, you look at rugby and we have the women's league in rugby now, but it's only five teams and, you know, it's handled a little bit differently. I think cricket has made great strides in terms of trying to achieve equity for the women in that space. But it has to be, it forces probably the right word and, and very, very deliberate and unapologetically because if you're minding too many P's and Q's as you go through, you won't get to the desired outcome. Mm. Yeah, you have to do it with urgency. I think these sorts of things have to be done with urgency. And yeah, so there's many, many facets of that equity conversation, not least of which is commercial reality, because sometimes these things work at the pace at which they can afford to be managed. And that, that, as, a, that as I say, is a reality. Yeah, that's really, it's a good insight. And I'm going to jump around real quick here, but something that I've noticed that the Queens have done a really nice job of doing is incorporating the partnerships throughout the season and beyond. So for you and your perspective, how do they contribute to the growth of the women's game? The partners, look, it's just simply not possible without our partners to make this operate. The franchises who participate in Tauihi, um, I think in a great move from Basketball New Zealand, they're all privately owned enterprises. So they are businesses. Now, whether you have a, a trucking business or an Apple business, or a sports business, they are businesses and the same rules apply across all of them. They all have to be financially sustainable and operating a team of, um, you know, this year we recruited 20 players, many of whom were development players, but we had 20 in our squad. Then you have your coach, your AC, your manager, your physio, your strength and conditioning, your masseuse. You know, by the time you get to the end of it, you're a squad of about 30, I would say. And that is an investment to be made. And so you need partners to assist you and believe in you and support you in that process. So these enterprises and these endeavours don't happen without our partners. And we are incredibly lucky to have amazing partners who have supported the Queens from the get-go. When I you know, was ringing friends saying, I have the greatest idea and opportunity for you. And they were like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think some of them were just before I could get through. They were just knew it was easier just to say yes. But then they did love it and they've stayed with us. So, you know, I've got a great naming rights partner in Ansco who also sponsor Ironman in New Zealand. Kahu Legal have been there from the get-go. You know, Centreport, Mitre 10, you know, great people who have their own reasons for supporting the Queens, many of which or oftentimes is they do it for their own teams because they want their own teams to know that they support women and women's advancement and their teams will love coming to it. So lots of reasons. Plus, uh, King Caps says, says Tokamano Queens, that's my team. So it seems like literally people walking around Wellington, you know, I've seen people in Queens sweatshirts and they do feel a part of the fauna that the Queens have created. Like that is their team. That is our biggest buzz too, honestly. It's so, it, you, it never gets old. You know, you'll be at the market and the guy in the roti caravans bring his tech queen sushi and I'm like, yes, you couldn't have it already, but I am now. <laughs> you know, it's even the merch and everything, just the amount of effort that the queens have poured into making sure, again, tying it back to the entertainment piece and make the fandom. You know, I've seen the Saints do it really well, but the queens have really gone off of that and done it in their own way and been successful you know when we went through the process we were thinking what you know what's our gift to the world why why would you do this and you know what's our core offering and our offer fundamentally the place we got to was the same we want to offer a team like no other and in that there were three 
like components. One was about representation. So that was about seeing extraordinary and ordinary women grinding and hustling and balancing and juggling and doing all the things that we know that our players do. They work, they're mamas, they are looking after whanau and family, but they are out there being ballers. So representation was a part of it. Guidance was another part of it. So how do we help guide our existing players and young women through this process of sport and health and wellness and so forth. And then finally, entertainment. And that's a really fun part. It's like, how do you entertain people? And it is fun. It's fun for us. And we think it's fun for people who come along because they keep coming back. Well, it's one of the almost emotional moments that I had from those the first game of the season last year is uh, it was right before the game. I'm not sure if people had started coming into the arena yet, but it was watching all of the Queens players. And now keep in mind, we're seeing folks like Eva Langton, Tegan Graham, a lot of the Wellington locals. Now, some of them are home for the first time in their professional career. And Sitsisti came out of the PBHA and just seeing everyone, it just got emotional because it was like, There's, this is home. And you could see the excitement on their faces. Like, yeah. this is a real reality. And, you know, they're working with these amazing women. And so... I have so many questions about the players too, and we're going to get to that, but I wanted to just quickly touch on something that I thought was really unique. So when you talk about the equity piece and the representation piece, you know, looking at the heavy female influence that the Queens holds, because that starts right at the top from the founders and the board of directors all the way to Coach Tanya um, and down to the team. So that influence is pretty incredible, I would imagine, to be around. Yeah, it's, it is. I think what's fascinating in our group and what I love to see and feel and be the recipient of, which is maybe not, that might be surprising, but actually the support of the men in our franchise as they recognize both the need and the opportunity we have at hand and they put their entire weight into it, but they do it in a backwards fashion in a way. You know what I mean? Like they're constantly pushing women to the front of this conversation yeah, and like totally. you, you know they are deeply committed to that idea of you know not about us without us it has to be the voice has to be that of uh, women the conversation has to be led by women um the opportunities have to be both created by perception and filled by women so you know they've just doubled down on addressing that equity issue that you delved into paul that's really really important so we have as many men involved as we do women but you will, by and large, almost always see the women. That's yeah, my design. Major male allies. Um, and it's great to hear that they're, you know, helping push women toward the front. And then yeah. they have a genuine understanding of, like, this is the woman's lead. This is, you know, the woman should be, you know. Like, you can see it from, you can even see it. And, you know, just as a tiny example from some of the players, you know, you see Marnie in the Saints. Like, he is uh, a very deeply committed Queen supporter. Yeah. You're right. So it's it's those little cues and it's not a platitude. This is not, you know, that's not a, a novelty or a, a quirk. These women can play and we're all about supporting them. Even with Walter too and Wellington basketball, just the genuineness that comes with, I guess, bringing everybody together. And basketball is one sport at the end of the day and everyone gets to play men and women. And yeah. so to you know, you're talking about Mani and some of the others who are actually actively supporting and like that's almost like another personality trait. You know, it's just so refreshing to hear that. Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and Walt, you look, you'd have to 
Paulo Monte here, but he is really the beating heart of the Queens and he is, um, it really is a great desire and ambition of his to ensure that this is an incredibly successful club uh, for the region, if not the country, because sure, we have our daughter and we know what it's like for young women to come through the system. And so we've seen and felt and watched that. But he knows, he knows the magnitude of the opportunity here. So, yeah, and if he said it once, he said it you know, a thousand times. The players are the priority here. The players are at the front of this and, and he would do anything for them. That's never a question ever because even seen at three at three and the way he's looking after them and, you know, he gives them space to do what they need to do. And, you know, look, you know, last year they won the three at three title, but at the same time, you know, it's, there is a genuine, genuine space in his heart for this. And I think he's really committed as well to lifting the game domestically. You, you know, we, we moved very quickly from a non-professional game into what is a semi and hopefully ultimately full professional era of women's basketball. And simply because you get paid to play a sport does not by default make you a professional player. And if we want to keep growing our game and attracting players to New Zealand and being a professional option or opportunity for international players to come to New Zealand, because that's what lifts our game, we have to work really hard to be those professionals. And that's something that um, certainly the Queens, um, led by Walt, are committed to doing. Given this focus and what happened at the Women's Asia Cup, one of the things that we've noticed is that there's been a steady improvement in the quality of play from the players coming from New Zealand. How do you see that progression going forward, given what's happening within the Tauihi League and with the sort of support the players are getting from clubs like the Queens? It's funny because Bob and I talk about this a lot and I, I will probably give a non-technical answer and he will give you a very sound technical answer. So <laughs> uh, but since I'm on the mic, um, look, I think that... New Zealand is not a a huge market. And I think that like, you know, when young people go and do their OEs, when our young people get exposure to international sport, basketball specifically to this conversation, you can't help but get better at that. Mm. And so I think uh, we have an astounding number of young women and young men who are playing offshore and that's fantastic. And as they start filtering back into the system, I do think you'll see an improvement. I think that if we could expand our sites, much like Netball did when the ANZ Trans-Tasman competition emerged, that can only help by making us stronger. Because I don't know if we can get stronger if we simply keep playing each other. Mm. You know, the same teams in the same competition year in, year out, I don't think is the recipe for a, a vast improvement in our position. I think introducing stronger um, styles of play is really part of the answer to that. I also think really having a good look at our young ones who are footing it in Div 1, NCAA, they are getting phenomenal coaching, incredible access to resources, and they are playing two, three times a week against absolute powerhouses. Like that, If that doesn't improve our national state of play, yeah, what might? So I'm going to follow this up with a couple of points and we can get back back into our regular line of questioning. But first thing I wanted to touch on is, given the fact that you've got your national coach, Guy Malloy, is coaching the WNBL here, and he's bringing that experience back, and also he's obviously exposing WNBL players 
to what's happening in New Zealand. Do you think there's a, a real potential for cross-pollination and for the, for the national team to learn from Guy what's happening here in Australia with the WNBL? Yeah, I, I mean, no doubt. I mean, you look at the absolute strength of the Opals. You look at Tess Magnum when she came back into New Zealand and played here. I mean, she's just a, a, she's a rock star. You look at the, much as I hate to say, you know, many of the Kahu. Saw point, you got me. Um, you know, you look at the the sheer physicality with which those women play. Like, let's have that. Let's be able to do that. But you you can't expect to simply step into um, 12 weeks of play at one point in the year and to be able to turn that on. Like, you, you've got to be able to commit yourself, and this is what you see with a lot of the, the players who, you know, especially the internationals who come in. It is their career to be travelling the world, playing week in, week out at that level, if not higher. We, It's unlikely we will be able to be as consistently strong if we don't have a similar kind of input into the national game. Okay, so here's where we come up with the zinger question. God, I'm in such deep trouble now. I'm talking <laughs> I've got no idea what's happening. No, 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 no. This, this one's really – do you think and – and I'm prefacing this by saying I know that Justin's got this in his own head. Do you think that New Zealand could become part of or compete in the WNBL, field the team? To, you know, so basically, you know, you use the Tauihi League to get to find your basically your roster or your core roster, and then supplement that with with imports, and then compete in the WNBL, and that helps to raise the the, the level of competition. Yeah, I think that there is a huge amount of untapped as yet opportunity between New Zealand and Australian players, coaches leagues you know and just to be clear though the courtship that this is not a full partnership because they're already strong yeah so that's, yeah. So that's awesome um really the courtship is is for us to understand and, and learn from them and what they have done well and how we can do as well mm. you know like in the early stages of building our team we had lots of conversations of you know what's the aim of the game because Toei here is fantastic and we love playing in it and we're completely committed to it. But what would it look like to create a female breakers? You know, what would it take? Yeah. So, you know, you've got to think, I think, always, as is business, you've got to think beyond the immediate. It has to be, at the moment, we're, we're playing tactics, we're playing year on year, we're playing in a domestic competition with five teams. So at the moment, it's a little bit tactical in that respect as it pertains to, I would say, you know, building that strength of a national team. But if you thought strategically, what what would that look like? And then you can start filling in the blanks because mm. the strategy is, you know, how do you get from A to B? And at the moment, we're still working out what does B look yeah. like? Well, actually, the other option, of course, is a Trans-Tasman Champions League. So whoever wins the NBL1 women's up against oh, yes. the Tawihi League champion. Oh, yeah. I'm not even yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to – find a friend now because yeah. <laughs> hey, am I allowed to say this now? <laughs> no, I just think watch this space because it's fascinating to see a league. We're only two years in. No, no, no. Zero to a hundred. And you know already people are like, oh, what's next? You know, yeah. who can we have in? How far can we extend? What's practical? And also the reality is what keeps all five teams who started this race in the race because it's really hard 
it's really hard to bring in partners into sports. It's really hard to find people to fund sports. Yep. It's really hard to, you know, keep building refs at the same pace as building coaches at the same pace as building players at the same pace as building administrators. So you're like the proverbial duck, you know, it looks pretty cool on the surface, but it's just <laughs> bananas below it. <laughs> I mean, with the pod, we actually learned about Tauihi before it even launched. We wanted to, do, to learn a little bit about New Zealand hoops and we stumbled across the expressions of interest for people who wanted to start a team. We thought, oh, uh, yeah, we've got to follow up on this one. This sounds really interesting. Put a pen in it. Yeah. And then we actually we, we talked to somebody and then we we followed it on. And we've been following the Tauihi League throughout its first two seasons and through the run-up into, into the first season. And I've got to say, from my perspective, I actually look forward to the Tauihi League because if I look at season one and I look at season two, you can see marked improvement, not just in the play, but in the game day experience. And what you're seeing is from an audience standpoint over here, you can see improvements. So to me, it's saying you guys are constantly looking for ways to improve. You're constantly looking for ways to raise the profile. There's got to be, you know, and I understand it's very young, you know, but there's all these options out there that you can see. And it's like, which is the next one that we pick? Yeah. It, it, it is uh it's exciting and it's sort of it's that idea of being impatiently patient it's, it's got to, you almost have to move as a as a tribe you've got to move as a group because it, you know all we all need to be all votes right yep. you know if, if that makes sense and so we want the other franchises as well as the terminal queens to be outstanding we want every game to go down to the wire because that's a great game and that makes for great entertainment and fans want to see players and teams going toe-to-toe -to -toe every time they don't want anyone getting beaten by 30 or not having that great on-court visual display so you know every, everyone wants to be better say so last year i can think of few games where there are blowouts just looking across the league it was down to the wire at least one game every week that yeah. we were probably sat in our heart rates and, you know, it just leaves you wanting more. And to your point about the sustainability of it, and, you know, you got to be impatiently patient when, you know, watching the growth of it, you know, I think it's great because, you know, it seems we got people's attention and they want to come back. And that's, you know, both fans and, you know, hopefully the prospective athletes if they haven't been here already. Mm. There were some games where, in as much as that my theory is, is true, and I do what, you know, you want all teams to be better, Ryan loves to win. I would have been pretty happy to walk away with a couple of those line balls in our favour, but that's okay. What I do love is at the end of the games, even the ones where you just think, oh, we've got this, and then we did it. And we had a really great couple of games. We were like the, definitely the comeback kids or the all-but comeback kids. At least when you leave the game, you can hear fans going, that was such a good game. And you think, oh, well, that's good. You know, like if you had a good time and you loved your experience, despite the fact that we didn't take it, that's cool. I mean, the fans were always part of it, you know, no matter if it was a win or a loss, you know, they were embedded and they were invested in it. And they think that, you know, that just goes to show what this league can do. And I think really what impact that everybody, not just the players, but management, et cetera, on the team, you know, that you've had. Mm. So. I think, you know, when I say uh, Walt will always, he has the players as his paramount focus, mine is, is probably the off-court scenario, you know, because my role 
is largely in the fundraising and you know managing partners and so forth and so and with that i guess comes fans and so i'm always thinking you know how do you increase that fan experience and and that's something that our whole group because you you know and and justin you mentioned justin he is a he's an absolute wizard when it comes to mm. fandom i think it's actually in his job title but you know like fans are, and fandom is the new black like, they're everything because they're the reason oftentimes the players will step out is to satisfy and and delight fans yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that a lot of sports tend to not pay enough attention to is the fans. They focus a lot on the game, they focus a lot on the players, but then sort of fans come in at number three. Whereas particularly for Tawihi, because it is a new league, you really want to engage with those fans and get them really connected with the game and with the league early in a way where they, they're going to be looking at it and going, yeah, I want to stay engaged with this league. So what kind of things do you look for in opportunities to further engage with the fans? Uh, we love our games. You know, once you step into our, our games, we, we like giving people a, just a really great, fun experience. And a lot of that was built off, um, you know, mine, Waltz, Jordan's, just numbers of us, Megan, who have either played in big games or who have been around the world and attend a lot of sporting events. And, you know, the NBA is a perfect example. So, you know, you go to an NBA game, it's like nothing you've ever been to, as you guys know. The music is going, it's giveaways, it's just nonstop. There's something to look at all the time, not least of which is the game. So it's that kind of really fun mesh of um, music and dance and sport and so forth, that basketball is almost the only sport where you can pull it off really, really well. Um, so we try to give our fans a really fun experience when they come to us. That is number one. On top of that, we try to stay engaged with them through social media. That's a really great focus of everyone on the planet at the moment. But but certainly in the work that we do, we try to stay engaged with um, different platforms which give you different audiences and ways to engage. And we're still working that out. We're still working out what works best for us. Uh, we added TikTok to our stable in this last 12 months and it went crazy there was i think one of the one of the it's on there were absolutely hilarious they were pretty hilarious i know lily totally might have it if it all goes pear-shaped at umass she can you know become some kind of person but you know like one of them had quarter million views and it was just really funny but it's great to see what works you've got to do trial and error in these things and see what people like i think once you get people on social media though Frankly, you're, you're already engaging with people who are in, engaged with you. So it's a matter of, I think, exposing more of your team, more of your players, more of your game to them because you really want to turn your fans almost um, into sycophants for you. you. They just want to know everything. You know, it's like, it's like LeBron James. If I want to know what LeBron James had for breakfast, I could probably find out because he's pretty available <laughs> and you want that kind of really diehard i love the team and my favorite player is stella beck and i just want to you know get her signature and know more about her because I, I just love the way that she plays and there's someone in our team for everyone in fact some of the kids love all the players <laughs> so you know letting them know them and the idea you know i alluded to the idea of representation our players are representative of future players. 
And so letting them up close and personal, whether it's through social or at the games, is really, really important to us. And I think actually, and part of that is helping people see themselves at our games, because as much as social is great and as much as we have really good, in fact, we have the biggest crowds, I think, that come to Tuihi, for us this year, we need to broaden that. We need to broaden that. We love that people love the Queens, but we want more people to love not only the Queens, but Tauihi and women's basketball. So we've got to go into spaces where it, it'll be new for us and new for them to understand that um, you can come and watch women's games too. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be a great challenge. Challenge indeed. You know, when you were talking about Stella and love how you're saying that, you know, there's a player for every person yeah. on the team. You know, you, know you were saying, well, that's primarily his domain, working with the players, but... You know, the Queens in general, there's got to be, I'd imagine, a vision of the character traits that you would want them to have. Because if you look at the track record of the past two seasons, you know, Florence Chagas, and, you know, she, I know she wanted to come back. Unfortunately, that wasn't able to pan out because of another contract. But you know, then you have Stella Beck, who is, you know, probably one of the most steady stalwarts now that I can think of, you know, captaining all the way through now with the Tall Ferns. So you've got people like Lauren Tejada. You know, even now, Eva Langton, who seems to improve leaps and bounds, and now she's going over, you know, in case people hadn't noticed, going over to China for the Olympic qualifiers with Tall Friends of the Train. Yeah. I mean, Amazing. the character of these people that you're bringing in, not just the locals, but also the imports. Mm. You know, so what are some of those key pillars that you're looking for? Yeah. So, again, back to, the, so I guess this is my take on it. The values that are really important to the Queens, you know, we do focus on, whānau and family and try to instill those in and maybe that's because that's kind of the way that we deal with it you know literally is our family and our house turns into a queen's headquarters but you know there are i guess there are a few things that we try to land on when it comes to value one one is that idea that the women who come and play for the queens have to hustle hard this is a hard game it's a hard season and you need to come in and you need to hustle hard be ready to grind and, and put the work in you know, and, and let your game transcend the, the place and the time and the court and, and so forth. So you've got to hustle hard when you come into the Queens. The second one would be, as I alluded to, whānau first. So recognising that no matter how good you become, it has taken a village to get you this point and you actually have a village around you at this point. So that, that whānau first, and I, that doesn't mean your parents and your kids necessarily, it is in fact your team as well as your administration and so forth. Breaking boundaries is really important to us. So and what I mean by that is that this is this is new for the country. This is new for the code to be able to have this. So you do this, you break these boundaries, um, not because you're a woman, not because you're a tall firm, but because like you're the best at what you do. And that for us spells out originality. So you are original. And we, we always talk about this idea of like, you know, be yourself, everyone else is taken. So yeah, Stella, you look at Stella walking on the street, you are not going to say, that girl, I bet you, that girl's a killer on the court. You're going to go, I wonder which yoga studio that girl goes to. <laughs> you know, like, that's what's happening when Stella Beckball's past you. But you see her on the court and she is original. She literally defines that that break boundaries and originality um, value that we that we hold really highly. And I guess the, um, the fourth one for us is leading the way. So, you know, stay humble, be relatable, always have in your head, we, not me, that idea of, and, and that's about class. That's That for us is being class in everything that you do. Turn up early, stay late, do the signatures, you know, lead the way as you for you as a player. And for us, that 
you know, going into this year, and we've learned a heck of a lot in the last couple of years. The first year was drinking from the fire hydrant. The second year, we thought we'd worked out a few things, but I think it's the third year where you go, okay, we know which way is up now. And one of the things that we're very keen to explore further this year is this idea of utu or reciprocity, because we there are no ends to what we will give for our queens, but it has to be very clear that that is a two-way street. You know, talk about you know these ideas of um, reciprocity, aroha atu, aroha mai. You know, love given is love received, and so reciprocity in this game is incredibly important to what it means to be professional. No, and that very important points there. And you know, again, it is a two-way street, and you know, you want them to perform for you just as much as you're putting into them, because you're putting in so much time and mahi and aroha to do that. You know, and you're talking about people from all walks of life, which I thought was, all, you know, I think throughout the league, there is that bar of an expectation, I guess, if you will, of what the players will bring to you. But that's going to look different. And I love the concept of how you're describing it with originality. Costella has her, I guess, kind of, yeah, unassuming kind of look about her off the court. But then when she gets on, it's just a, like, a flash of light. And, you know, I think everybody probably must team spirit playing her because, yeah. The elite skill set that she's had, and um, you know, Australian fans will hopefully be familiar with her having played with Melbourne. But you know, so she's got that experience, but you wouldn't assume that. You know, been thinking about those like Latava Kenny, and how she's a mom, and I loved how she was able to come back this year and bring that motherhood experience and that love for basketball. And so she has her own flair. Tegan Graham has her own flair. You know, everybody yeah. else you got to the DPS. You know, they've all got their own part about them and how wonderful it is that people in New Zealand and as you know you're hoping for and beyond can relate to. And even the other thing I wanted to touch on was that, you know, you've got cross coders as well. Yeah. Like Mason, you know, so you're also opening up that extension to Nepal. So that's different too. Yeah, and the, I guess, you know, you always look for these moments which which typify you think, is this working? And I think this year when Maya Dodson was injured and then within 24 hours, Walt had contacted and I don't even, I didn't hear the conversations. I don't know how they went, but convinced Kalani Purcell to come over. I know three months old, you know, Kalani, she wasn't, you know, this was not, oh sure. Cause I've been training loads and I'm fully ready to go, but she and Walt, Walt had a conversation with her. And I think that Stella had kicked it into gear as well. Cause they're pretty close you know, packed up within 24 hours, got over here just in time to make the three games that she needed to play to get to the finals. But she is just mana personified. You know, you could see it on the court when she spoke to the players, especially the young players. They would just tell me what to do because she has just had such presence and such leadership. And those are the sorts of moments where you think, okay, something is working right that somebody who has just had a baby who lives in another country will pick up and come and be a part of what we believe in because we believe in her and her parents because we <laughs> we we was really lucky that they could like zap down here and nick's her baby actually became you know a very integral part of our team and there were literally people throwing down over who could carry her but you know those are the moments where you just think this is hilarious this is women's sport at its best <laughs> Yeah, it does say a lot that, you know, Kalani was willing to come and play. And even just with the turnaround, because, you, you know, with Crystal and Carr, and I, even, you know, after Maya Dodson, although she was, you know, it was unfortunate to see her go out with injury, but she certainly added a lot. But like you mentioned it, 
does speak a lot to you all and what the organization stands for, that you can have players kind of on standby and that are wanting to be part of something so monumental, such as this occasion. Mm-hmm. Especially someone like Kalani, who is captain of the Tall Friends, too. So she understands. Oh, it's like calling Jordan off the bench. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, too, so you are a mum as well, amongst the many other things. And so you've lived firsthand how that college experience, the lead up to that process goes, and then now, in effect, you're living it alongside Lily over there. So how much does this motivate you, and what do you hope for Lily and her peers for the future? Well, I keep trying to convince her to come back to Vic Uni, but she's not having a bar of it now. It's just like, you must be crazy. No, she's, what do I, I don't actually, you know, I say that totally in jest because now having been over and seen the opportunity ahead of her, I just think how incredibly uh, lucky she is to be where she is. But I also recognise the work it took to get there. You know, I watched her alongside Walt for two years. He talked to coaches every week, sometimes several times a week, about colleges, about opportunities, about what it took. I saw her go to, you know, Florida for three months and guts it out there to understand what that might feel like to be living and playing rather in the States. So what do I hope for her? Um, Like all of our young women who play offshore as they study and manage what's a pretty epic workload of full study and full play, one is that they stay really well you know, that they stay physically and mentally well through that process because it's hard and it's isolating. The other is that they have fun while they do it because, holy, I remember university being a lot of fun, so I want them to have fun while they're in the process. Not as much fun as I had, though, because that won't get them anywhere. Um, But, you know, they've got to have fun while they do it. They've got to stay well, and they've just got to go hard. They've got to take this opportunity for the three or four years that they find themselves in and really work that within an inch of its life. We do have a pretty poor record of our young people sticking with their entire scholarship offer, if you will. So a lot of our kids return prematurely. And this year we've created uh, the Queen's Foundation we created last year, but this year we'll be kicking it into gear. So we've created a charitable trust to do lots of things. One of the things is for kids to understand what pathways look like. In our experience with Lily, we saw a lot of our young people roll into year 13. They were great at basketball and, you know, going into their last year, they were like, cool, I want to go to America. Great idea, totally possible, but maybe it's arguable that that conversation should have started a couple of years prior because it's complicated and it requires training like anything. You've got to train your way into that space and understand the landscape you might land in. So one of the things uh, that the Queen's Foundation will do is focus on pathways. What does it take to take to use your sport as a tool to advance your education or vice versa, um, both here in New Zealand but also internationally? Because really at the end of the day, the ball stops bouncing and you need to have life skills under your belt. And so... How do we help better prepare our kids for that, whether they follow all the way through or not? You know, there's mentorship in there. There's sessions or or at least programs around fitness and wellness, mental health. There is access to actual coaching. So I think for us, Lily is, is on that trajectory and that's fantastic. And as a result of watching that process and watching the Queens in the last couple of years, we've thought a little bit of impact is great. But imagine if we could have a whole lot more. And so that's what the Queen's Foundation will exist in purpose of. That's inspiring, if anything. Uh, same because now, as we see more and more Kiwis who 
know, like you mentioned, they do want to go over, but sometimes they don't realize that until maybe a little bit later, certainly compared to what some of the kids in the U.S. have already you know, decided when they're really young. Um, you know, New Zealanders decide a little bit later that maybe this is a pathway that they want to take. But I think now we're starting to see more of the tools and kind of more of the discourse around what you need to make that happen. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the well-being of the athlete is the most important. Uh, and, you know, and the reality is not every region or province is going to have the resources to do that. Um, so how wonderful the Queen's Foundation is going to be able to, you know, help provide that pathway. And, you know, the, the exciting surprise for kids that come into the foundation will be that actually half of this equation is on your grades. You know, it's a really incredibly important part of your ability to jump that chasm and to be able to go into spaces that you that you might wish to. It's really important. And so this isn't an educational uh, foundation. It's a it's a participation in basketball, but but the two are integrally linked. And I think one of the things that I've also witnessed in the last couple of years is, you know, Walt's very honest with players about what needs to happen, whether we're the best place for them. And with the kids who are coming through that, you know, he and, and in the due course, the foundation will interact with, there, there needs to be a real honesty about what is the best place for you to be. Because the last thing we want to do is just keep pushing kids into these places and having them, you know, melancholy or or isolated or really feeling, you know, infinitely worse than that. That's not what we want. We want kids using sport as a tool to be uplifted and empowered so that that takes work. And you never know, especially if you haven't been through the process before of, you know, what's going to be a good fit. And sometimes coaches might try and sell them on something else. It may not be that. But to have even that ounce of guidance Mm. You know, can make a world of difference. Well, like you said, I think sometimes it has to be a reminder of sports should be empowering. You know, you want to use that as a tool to become a better person. And sometimes the way that the college system can work can touch would get out of that. Because I know when I was speaking to Lily, when she was going through her process, you know, academics was something that she was definitely looking for. Now, not everybody is maybe going to necessarily think that same way. But Sorry. that's okay. You know, there are thousands of schools in the United States. Yeah. yeah, And it's just a matter of finding the fit mm. that, you know, that way they're happy, ideally. And I think yeah. one of the other things that, that's interesting about the, the U.S. college system is the typical understanding is it's a big college in a big city, like a UCLA, like, right? But that's not always the case. It could be, you know, a college um, that's in a small town. I know, I, I remember we when we spoke with Vanessa Panousas and she was telling us about her journey to Virginia Tech. I was like, yeah, we landed in the city and then we drove th for hours through trees, <laughs> lots and lots of trees. And then we got to the town and it was a small town. It's like, and there's got to be some sort of setting of that, that, uh, that perspective that, yeah, it could be a big city. It could be a big university in a big city, but it could also equally be a very good college, but it could be in a very small town, you know, and because I'm sure that that also plays on there's going to be a relationship between the type, the individual and their personality and what not only the college, but also the surrounds of the college best suits them as well. Yeah, I think it's about eye on the prize. You know, like what is the big picture here that our kids are shooting for? And do they have the support systems around them to help them get through those tough times? And do they um, understand how to process those thoughts and how to process, you know, when you land in a small town where the only other thing there is, I don't know, an outlet ball. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> it's a t it can be tough yeah. and you're the only international there and you're a long way from home and you're a total novelty for a little while and then you know everyone kind of gets on with the job lots of these cases but then it's just a i think it just blows it has the opportunity to, to blow kids' minds and remove all barriers from what's possible. Yeah, I can live in that place for three or four years and get an education and play some basketball yep. and see some places. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's really interesting just thinking about that topic. Speaking to Tegan Graham, because I spoke to her right before the Queen's opener and, you know, going to Colgate, which is, she does now, what most people don't know is that it is not in New York City. Yeah, it is way out of there, and there's a lot of snow. She goes, I've never lived in snow before, and you know, she goes, So, this is my introduction to snow. She's in a whole new system, you know. So, she goes, This stuff is real. She goes, Now it worked out for me, and then she ended up at BYU and everything. And you know, she found her love of basketball again, and it all panned out. But you know, just those little things that you know, you're not gonna know ahead of time. Yeah, and she laughs about it now, and you know, she's very thankful for it. And she said, I just I picked a really beautiful place to live. And she loved, she goes, I love the snow. I thought it was amazing. Everyone else hated it, but they were tired. <laughs> she's been like, she's been like crushing it in the snow in Sweden for her last couple of months. So you do it. She's, you know, no issue. But yeah, like that was that just really interesting. I didn't even think about that. You know, like Kiwis, there's some even with the climates that, and I'm sure Australians too, like they're just not familiar with it. So on top of that, describing, you're like, oh, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, sure. There's that. There's the styles of coaching, very, very different. Um, the styles of play. It's you know you wrap it all in. It's a giant ball of different. That I think, uh, on one hand, it could be wildly intimidating and just uh, unsettling for uh, for people. And then on the other hand, you think uh, if it's a known quantity, then you're ready. You you can train your muscles, train your mind, train your body to be ready for those occasions. And you can come out of it. You know, hopefully, what as you were talking about earlier. That they come out of it having grown as better versions of themselves and if they want to come out to new zealand that's great if they're a sports person they go and play professionally around the world and that's their full-time job you know they're able and they're equipped to do that but it's just get launching pad to get them to that point rachel i really want to thank you for your time today it's been great it's been fantastic learning about the league the team Everything that's happening in, in New Zealand hoops about the foundation as well. We really, really appreciate you taking the time out to have a talk to us and fill us in on all this stuff. It is absolutely my pleasure. It's such a privilege to be uh, a part of this great movement and this great momentum that's building in women's basketball. I learn a lot. They never ask me to school bench because I'm like, I just... No, <laughs> like I'm not all the way there, I'm not all the way in, but you know, there are other things I bring to the table, so that's okay. But you know, most of all, you just get to see these young women come in and grow and develop and make mistakes and recover and move on. And I think uh, if they took half of the grit and resilience that they bring to the Queens into their everyday lives, then everyone's better for it. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Rachel. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get our latest pod. And we really appreciate if we could get a like and a review so we can extend the reach to more listeners. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn.